Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. a second message in the series this morning. You just saw the bumper video on a little bit of wisdom. Did you know we live in a crazy, crazy world? And we need wisdom to navigate through that. We're going to look at Proverbs this morning, Proverbs 4, 7. Here's what it says. It says, wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. Um, And so that's part of this message series called A Little Bit of Wisdom. Last week was the perfect kickoff message so that I could share with you what I'm going to share with you this morning. You couldn't get there without hearing last week's message. And so here's our verse this morning, Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life. Everybody say life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Anybody think that's a good life here this morning? A good life, right? So a good life is a life where you're content, untouched by trouble. I think that's a great life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about contentment, contentment. And so I want to define contentment for us because I think as a, with a lot of things in life, you can think of it differently in different ways. But here's what Uh, I think comes to mind when I say the word contentment. It could be the word satisfied or maybe the word happy. You're happy with something. You're satisfied in it. Or maybe in a negative sense, to some people, contentment can be like complacency. But the Bible has a lot to say about contentment. It's actually in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And I love this verse, this verse in Proverbs we just read, because it gives us, I think, a really clear picture of contentment. It's all about life. And it's not just about life. It's actually about abundant life or life to the full. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life beyond your wildest imagination and expectations. It's life with the sound turned all the way up, right? It's life in 5K HD. It's life in 7D, right? It's like all the pixels are just, there's a whole lot more of them. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those days where you're like, wow, This has been an amazing day to be alive. Have you ever had one of those days? I've had a couple of those days. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had a day where it's like you've had that experience. It's sort of like Thanksgiving, right? You're getting fed, and it's all good stuff, right? Like, so good. And you get to a point in the meal where you're like, you kind of push back from the table, and you're like, okay, I'm full. It's good. But that's what God is saying in this verse. He said, I'm going to be I'm going to be scooping more life into your life so much so that you're going to be like, okay, God, I'm good. I'm full. Can we put that in some Tupperware and put it back in the refrigerator because I have more life than I actually need. Has anybody ever said that to you? I don't know anybody who's ever said, nope, I don't need any more life. My life is perfect. It's grand. I wouldn't change anything about it. In fact, it actually needs to go down a level for me because it's just too much life. No, no one ever says that. No one ever says that. But look at the promise here in the verse. It says that we can live a life content untouched by trouble. That's an amazing thing. 
Well, if you've ever been around somebody who has that kind of contentment, you know immediately that that person will impact your life. It just, they're, they are a life-giving person. When you're around them, you walk away, your day is cheerier, it's better. It's just a great experience to be around that type of a person. I don't know who that is for you, but I can immediately think of people in my life that give life to me. And uh, it's just an inc- incredible thing. Those types of people, they never have a bad day, right? It could be the worst day their dog died. And they just, you know, they're still, they're still good. They're having a great, a great day. They're living in the moment. Yeah, it's not perfect, but they're living in the moment, wherever they are. And we need to learn to live that type of contentment in the culture in which we find ourselves in. Because the culture that you and I live in here in North America is a crazy culture. It's always about more, right? It's a, I just need a little bit more. That's the race that we're in right now. And uh, you, you see just different things that are happening. And so someone said the struggle is real. I like to say the juggle is real. It's a real thing. And I think today's message is really a wider conversation about jealousy and about peace and about uh, just experiencing and living beyond our capacity as human beings. So in the Bible, there's a story in the beginning about a man named Joseph, and it's a story about jealousy. In that word jealousy, you can almost hear the word lousy in the word, you know, because there's nothing great about jealousy. This is like jealousy. It's just, it's, it's lousy. And, and Joseph, you, you hear his story, and it's a treacherous tale. And it's that jacket that Joseph's father gave to him as, his fa- as the father's favorite son. That's like a tr- it's a trigger for all of his other brothers. And they, they're just so torqued off. And their jealousy of their father's favorite son is now at full tilt. And this opportunity comes for them to get their revenge, right? And so they see Joseph coming uh, from Dotham and they say, there comes Joseph. There, there comes the dreamer. Let's kill him and his dream. And of course, if you've read this story before, there's a whole lot I'm not going to cover this morning, but they drop him in a pit. He's constantly falsely accused. At the end of this at the end of his story of Joseph in the beginning of the Bible, there's this final test that Joseph's brothers, they don't actually know it's him. They think he's dead. But God's actually used what was evil and turned it around for good so that Joseph is now the viceroy or like the VP of all of Egypt. And he wants to know about his brothers. Do they truly love their father, Jacob? Do they love Israel? And so he creates this plan to find out, to see. It's sort of like the ultimate reversal of all the false accusations that Joseph has endured across his life. He wants to know, are they still willing to sacrifice their father's favorite son? Would they be rid of anything in the way of their father's inheritance, his money? And what does he find in the story? He finds out, no that they would instead, all ten of them, put themselves in their other brother's place. And so now it's this total reversal. They say that for the one son's freedom, all the other brothers be enslaved. And if you read the Bible, Joseph's actually the first Hebrew slave, the original, from which all the slavery in the Bible begins. And in this moment, the slave could now enslave those who enslaved him. What does he do? Not justice, but mercy. And a family that 
is reunited that actually becomes the nation of Israel. And that's part of this conversation today on contentment. Look, look at this phrase on the screen. Here's what it says. Never have we, it's coming. It says, never have we had more but enjoyed less. Never have we had more but enjoyed less. Now, you know, it's human nature, right? It never seems like we're happy where we are, right? And we're only happy where we're not. Like we're chasing this, this thing in front of us that we're trying to get to. And I have three young kids and uh, an awesome wife who's serving this morning at church, or she'd be with me this morning, but um, we live a full life, and I've got a seven-year-old, a four-year-old, and I got a zero-year-old, so he's like six months old, he's crawling around. Life's crazy. Sometimes we're up all night, uh, sometimes she's up all night, sometimes I'm up all night, and, uh, and then, you know, full work schedule, so we both have decided we want to work, and we do that, not because we have to, but because we want to. And every once in a while, I'll see the empty nesters, right? And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, come on. And so, you know, like you watch an empty nester's live, and you're like, dude, it's a perpetual vacation. Like, where are you going now? You going to Florida or are you going to, you know, the Key West? Where are you going? And, uh, and you know, so they talk to the empty nesters, and you know what they say? They say, oh, you know, we really miss the pitter-patter of little feet. And so we're never happy where we are, are we? And uh, how many of you guys have, like, an iPhone this morning? Where are my iPhone people at? Awesome. All right, how about those of you who are, like, Android phones? Let me see my Android phone people. Oh, yep, see, they're, they're lively. They like their Android phone. Pastor Aaron told me that you guys have, like, an Android outreach here at Simple Church trying to get you guys saved. You know, you guys, when you text us, you change our blue bubbles green. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you. Pastor Aaron, please have me back. Uh, but, you know, so our smartphones, you know that they say that the smartphone has uh, replaced 50 different items that we used to have in our house, or some of us still have them, but it's replaced 50 of them. So this, we can start naming them, right? There's the the camcorder and the calculator and the calendar, and that's just the C's, Right. But there's 50 different things that it's replaced and made our, uh, made our life um, just, you know, easier. It's put stuff in the palm of our hand, instant access to that. But we don't really seem much happier for it. I recently, well, not recently, a couple years ago, I, I probably have a dad fail because I took my 7-year-old to Jurassic World, uh, which is, you know, I took her to the movie and immediately she was hooked. She's like, this is unbelievable. This is amazing. So not anything with wings, like How to Train Your Dragon or Jurassic Park movies or, uh, you know, Godzilla, you name it. She wants to see it. She just thinks it's the coolest thing in the world. She's like, Dad, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. You can take me. I'll see it. I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, I told her, I said, there's actually old Jurassic World movies. They're called Jurassic Park. She's like, oh, I want to see them. So, you know, you cue the Netflix up. And so I was queuing up the Netflix one day for a Jurassic Park movie. And um, I started getting that, you know, that circle of death, right? Like it's just the scroll thing where it's like not loading. And I'm, you know, good for about 10 seconds. And then not so good about 20 seconds. And the, as the man of God that I am, at about one minute, I'm like, that's it. I'm canceling Netflix. I'm calling Wow Internet. I'm calling Spectrum. You know who you are. I'm, I'm going to call. I'm canceling. It's, we're out. We're done. And uh, then I started thinking about, you know, what would it have taken in 1996 to actually go 
see Jurassic Park at my house. Well, what, what would you have to do, right? It would have to be during normal business hours. You'd have to get in your car, drive 20 minutes, and where would you be going? You would be going to Blockbuster. That's right, or Family Video, if you live by one of those. And uh, so, you know, you go you go to Blockbuster, and, and you go in, and you start looking for it. You can't find it. So you ask the punk rocker at the front, hey, where's the Jurassic Park movie? He doesn't know. And so you eventually you find it. It's in the J section. And, uh, and then you look at the case. But boys and girls, there isn't a, a, a DVD or a VHS actually in the case there behind it. And so um, you're looking through. And, of course, it's Friday night, right? So it's not there because they only have five movies in the entire city to see that night. And so where do you go next? You get back in your car and you go to your second location. We all know their second location is movie gallery. So you, get, you finally get it and you get back in your car, get home, and you stick it in your VHS player and you hit play. And what do you got to do? Well, now you got to fast forward through the previews. And you think, this is great. I'm watching my, my, my movie, and I'm experiencing it. But you're not done yet, because after that, you have to be kind and rewind. That's right. You actually have to rewind the movie, and uh, it's just an anachronism now in our culture that uh, those of you who are under 18, you're just not going to get to experience the joy of that. I'm so sorry. And so uh, you do that, and you finally have to take that movie back to its location. We have all this and we're not happy. Why? What's creating all this discontent? Well, there's an enemy of contentment and it's this word, I think, called comparison. And we live in a culture of comparison. Not this, that. Not one, two. Not three, four. And every day and every way, our culture is trying to convince us that what we have and that who we are and who we're with is not good enough. Now, this has been around, of course, a whole long time, since the dawn of time. But social media has thrown a ton of fuel on this because now you're bombarded every day with messages. And tools that were actually designed to connect people just made us hate everybody. <laughs> And uh, so you, anytime you log on, right, you're immediately faced with somebody posting something positive. It's their highlight reel. And, you know, so you see, you know, they got a new car or they got a new, you know, boat or they got a new house, hashtag blessed. And you're like, hashtag come over here, let me show you. And, uh, and so you're like, hashtag I'm going to burn your house down. I'm just kidding. But... You know, we're confronted with that. We're confronted with that reality. And uh, maybe for you it's vacation. You know, it's the vacation you're not on spring break. Or maybe you go on vacation. Then you bounce on social media. You go to Florida. And then you see somebody that's like, you know, French Riviera or something like that. It's just everywhere. I feel for single people in this generation because back in the day, you know, it was just mom or dad that was like, hey, are you married yet? And when you log on now, what are the top things in the feed, right? There are engaged, or married, and that picture is perfect, right? It's the ultimate picture. Of course, we know it's like 20 hours that they work to set that, that picture up, that experience. It's just, it confronts us every day and in every way, and it looks perfect. And you can begin to feel like, what's wrong with me? Why am I not experiencing that kind of 
life. Fitness goals. Everybody has a fitness goal. And people, of course, are always posting fitness goals while I'm slamming some Chick-fil-A. It's, it's, yeah, it's not open today, by the way. Sorry. Um, but, um, you know, every time I'm putting down one of the number two deluxe mm, chickens, uh, you know, somebody's posting, hey, I just ran a marathon, or hey, I just ran a 1,000 miles, or I just ran a 440, or I just biked across Antarctica without a T-shirt. I'm like, okay. Uh, thank you. And at the gym selfie, I don't quite get that one, right? Like, what's the point of the gym selfie? If somebody could help me with that one, because if it's to make me feel really bad, congratulations, you've won, right? But truthfully, like, I joke, it's funny, but all that's a reality of what we live in. And of course, I'm not against social media. I use it. It's a tool. And it's added value to our life. But we have to be honest, it's also robbed. It's taken some value away. They tell us that every 10 minutes or more on social media uh, actually can make us feel more unhappy, more unsatisfied. That's not to say that we leave it. We've got to learn uh, about it. Well, number two, the second thing that comparison does is it gives us the wrong presumption. So number one was comparison makes life all about the wrong perspective. Number two, comparison gives us the wrong presumption. It makes us believe the wrong things. And this one's really wicked because what it does to us when we begin to compare is that we begin to say, hey, I don't have that. But if I had that, then I would be really happy. And every day we're bombarded with that message from ads to billboards that say, oh, by the way, let me tell you how you, sh how you feel right now. You are unhappy, but if you'll buy this for $19.95 or you'll take this pill or you'll click this website, then you'll be really, really happy. You'll be satisfied. And we can look at different people's lives on Instagram or Facebook. And you can see people selling things all the time. And they're trying to play on that one thing. If you'll just do this one thing, this magic bullet will solve all your problems. In a lot of ways, that's the lure of drugs or pornography. One click away, one pill away, and you'll be happy. Even some of this, these nefarious websites, like these websites that encourage people to be unfaithful, um, to commit adultery, to be, maybe you're unhappy in your marriage, they'll say, one click away and you'll be happy. And it's just a lie. It's a lie. And comparison, of course, is a moving target because when you get what you thought you wanted, you realize you're not happy anymore. It's a miraginal oasis. You get there and it's gone. It's gone. Jim Carrey said this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dream so that they can find out it's not the answer. Some of you are like, hey, I'll try it out, Jim. You can just donate here to uh, you know, my Columbus address. Years ago, I was an associate pastor in Los Angeles, California, and we'd have some actors and actresses come to the church and uh, you know, they confirmed this for me, uh, that this unsatisfaction is just a human, human thing. And there was a study done of those who had had, on average, a net worth of $125 million or more. And generally, they found that the group was, guess what, unhappy and unsatisfied. And you know what they said? They said, well, what would make you happy? What would make you satisfied? And the responses were pretty just overwhelming. 
about 25% more, and then I'd be really happy. I'd be satisfied. It's a moving target. What we have now is not good enough. If we're not careful, my friends, we'll live in that perpetual cycle. Whether you make 20 grand a year or whether you make 300 grand a year, you can live in this perpetual discontented cycle. And without realizing it, you'll end up living that way your whole life. Wouldn't that be a tragedy to live in America, in the United States of America, and to live in that, that cycle and to realize that? And then you would end up living your life for people that you don't even know. You end up living your life for the wrong person. And that is number three. That's the third thing that comparison does. It makes us live life for the wrong person. We put so much attention on what they are doing and with, and with who they are with and on what they have that we can actually miss out on what we have and on with who we're with. In 2013, there was a word that was introduced as the word of the year, and it was the word FOMO, or the fear of missing out. There's another word I felt like needed to be added to that, and that was the word FOBO, or the fear of being offline. And if you have teenagers, heck, if you have young kids, there's a real fear for that. I remember when my, my uh, four-year-old was two, and she's like, you know, learning her first word, and she like, we got no Wi-Fi. I'm like, oh my gosh, first world problem. We ain't got no Wi-Fi. FOMO is a pervasive anxiety that we are missing out and that our peers are doing more or in possession more of something that we don't have or that they have something that's better than us. And it's this consistent or nagging feeling. As an educator, I know this really well. Here's what the research has told us. Today's students, so this is like under 18, 2019 this study was released, that today's student has the same anxiety level that a, a person in a psychiatric ward had in the 1950s. Because of the way we've designed our culture. So if you're not in that generation, Gen, Gen Z, Generation Z, I want you to imagine for a moment your entire life Anything anyone's ever said, I watched uh, a lady do this yesterday on a playground. Be careful. Watch out. Oh, better be careful. And your whole life, people put helmets on you. They strap you in a car seat like you're going to the moon. Um, there's just all this attention, over-attention to safety. And we need to make sure our children are safe. But combine that with giving children a front row seat to every natural disaster, every uh, school shooting, everything happening in our world in a 24-hour news cycle. And you know what they begin to feel? Not safe. Anxious. So much so that they're afraid to do anything. And parents are filling forms out for them because, well, you might do it wrong. And they're actually trying to put them in a position of strength, actually creating a weakness for them as a student. Tim Elmore says that some of the millennials have said things like this, and a millennial is somebody that's a little older generation now. So a millennial is going to be somebody that's late 20s, 30s, that, that generation. They said things like, when our phones had leashes, we were free, but now that our phones are free, we aren't. 21 Pilots is a band from Columbus, and they have a hit song uh, that was, that's called Stressed Out. Here are the lyrics from the song goes like this. I actually think the music video was filmed in Gahanna, Ohio. 
I was told when I get older, all my fears would shrink, but now I'm insecure and I care what people think. My name is Blurry Face and I care what you think. Wish we could turn back time to the good old days when our mama sang us to sleep, but now we're just stressed out. And why is that? Because they're stuck in that comparison trap. And I think the song that really nails the discontentment in our culture, and especially that of Generation Z, is from the band Chainsmokers. They had a top hit song. So this is a song that's resonating, right? It's really connecting with Generation Z. And the song is called Sick Boy. Here's the killer line, Steep. They say that I'm the sick boy. Easy to say when you don't take the risk, boy. Welcome to the narcissism where we're united under our indifference. Feed yourself with my life's work. How many likes is my life worth? Feed yourself with my life's work. How many likes is my life worth? And you might be here today and you say, you know what, I'm not on social media. But I'm pretty sure most of us are getting text messages on our phones. You're maybe answering late night email. We're all fallen and we can get into this trap of comparing and the comparison trap. Every phone, every device can take you, it can transport you from who you're with to somewhere else in a moment. And here's the realization that I personally have come to. I've worked through some of this myself. There was a season I was getting almost 200 emails a day. Not like, you know, spam, but like I need to respond to this email at some point. I, I may not miss on what them or they are doing or helping them, but I may miss out on what I have. So one night we're doing the family thing, and, uh, you know, we just live up the road in Blacklick, and, um, you know, got a great backyard. The kids are hanging out there playing on the swing set. We're having a deep conversation, my wife and I. And about halfway through, you know, I just kind of suddenly felt myself drifting to my phone. I picked it up, turned it on, and uh, I began to scroll through Facebook and Instagram and, um, you know, it was a feed of everybody else's life. And, and then it hit me, I realized later on, I wasn't with who I was with and I wasn't with them. I was literally nowhere for no one. So we understand the problem. Now let's look at the solution. Here's what Solomon says. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and the chasing after the wind. Man, is that so relevant. Here's what I want to do, and here's what I hope you want to do. I want to live the life that God has for us in this moment, in this time with my people, with my tribe. I hope that for you and your family. And there's a great example of that in the Apostle Paul he leads the pack when it comes to contentment. Here's what he had to say in Philippians chapter 4. He's saying, I'm not saying this because I am in need, because I've learned to be content in every circumstance, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, he's writing to us actually from a prison. What is Paul saying in this moment? He's saying there is no way outside of God that you're going to get this experience of this promise. I think of Dante's Inferno, that in that 
uh, this is really cryptic, but at the end, in the inferno, in his story, actually had their eyes sewn shut because they'd always desired what everybody else had. That's, That's not in the notes here. Paul is saying this, though. He's saying, I can do all the things I'm supposed to do through God that I love and through the God that loves me. He's saying, I can live the content life and I can live a life of great content because of Christ. And God promises me that kind of life when I live my life through him. Not around him, but through him. All right, so Paul has some secret on contentment, right? We can agree that a dude from prison doesn't normally write, hey, I'm good. I got this. I got this, right? Paul understood contentment. Here are some secrets from his life. Number one, realize what we have. Now, I realize we all have lists, right? You have a list of wants and needs. You can go to the grocery store. I can too. We could make a list of all the things in your life that aren't right, things in my life that I wish hadn't happened, right? And life's not fair, and I get all of that. But I don't know this about you, and I know this about your life, that God created you with a specific purpose and a design, and he wants a great life for you. And we live in America, in a great country, in Columbus, Ohio, a great city. There's great opportunity for you here today to live a great life and experience a joyful life. The Bible in Acts says that God created you for a specific place and time. And he did that not because he, like, put you in some randomizer, but that God, we believe that God wants a personal relationship with you and designed you for this season of, of human history because he's got purposes for your life. And, uh, and so that salvation comes from the promise then that God's designed us for that purpose and that God designed you to be the head, not the tail, that God's going to do immeasurably more in your life than you could imagine or think when you tap into him. Now, listen, I don't have everything that I want, and neither do you. And I, I, I don't have everything that I feel like I'm entitled to, right? You, neither do you. But here's the truth of it. I've got way more than I deserve. And so do you. Because I know what I deserve. I know the sin that God saved me from, my mistakes, my failures. I know the failures that I had last week. I know the failures I have last year. Like, I can write them down for you. And I know my, some of my flubs. Some of them, thank God, I don't even know about because he's hiding them. He's saying, oh, he's not ready for that one yet. Holy Spirit, just hold on a second. Hold on to that one. I'll let him have that one in a second. But we know what we deserve because all of us are saved as sinners in full need of God's mercy. And he gives it to us every day in every way. Here's the second one. We need to make God our source. Paul did that. At the end of the day, our discontentment's not really about stuff. Never was about stuff. Nothing really material. It's about a void in our life that we're often trying to fill. That's a God-sized void, and there's no answer outside of God. And, of course, you know, even us Christians, we can use these things sometimes as coping mechanisms to forget about what's happening in our life or to take a break or whatever. But we just need to be careful about where those eyes go and where they lead us to, those desires, those wants. Are they, are they focused on the right things? 
because there's no answer outside of God. And listen, you may be tired or discouraged this morning, but let me just encourage you this morning. Rather than using a device or the next pill or the next goal to drive you, some of us are just, they're so goal-driven that we're, we're living life on, on um, serotonin, right? It's like our own drug. Put yourself in God's hands and say, okay, God, in this area of my life, I need you. The reason we're here today is because we've discovered God. And maybe you're here today and you've shifted your attention from God a little bit. And you've used something, whether it's a phone or a relationship or something else, instead of putting your source in God. Here's the thing about God. God's all pure life, right? It's there, nothing ever has to die or be converted to get the life from God. In every other aspect of life, something has to die or be converted for you to get life out of that. From the sunlight to your salad, there's conversion. That animal, mm, that, that animal. Some of you guys are going to have steak today, and an animal died for your, your food, right? In every area of life except God. God, there is pure life. There's no death associated with the life that you get from God. There's more life. And God says, you know, you're looking at this thing or that thing because you think it's going to give you life, but it's actually just going to give you more death. And if you would lean into me and die to yourself, I could give you more life so that you'll sit back from the table and go, okay, God, thanks. I'm good. I got enough life in my life right now. I believe when we do that, it actually creates our capacity for the more good life that God has to give. This life was never about you comparing yourself to someone else, but actually about you chasing the person that you're supposed to become through God. I want you to catch this this morning. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus does this amazing, amazing thing does this amazing thing. He, Jesus' life is unaccounted for the first 30 years, right? It's not written. And then suddenly he bursts onto the scene, into the history of men, and introduces himself to the motley crew of the would-be disciples and enters into Peter's life, and he gets right into Peter's space and gets into his boat and turns his boat into a house of God, a platform by which everyone would know. It'd be really easy if Jesus would just stay in his lane. Stay in your lane, God, right? You know people who, uh, who've said that before. We all like it when God stays in his lane, but Jesus essentially gives Simon a choice. He says, hey, will you be identified with me, Simon, because I'm going to be identified with you. See, God's not hesitant or resident, reticent to be identified with us. It's who are hesitant or reticent. And so Jesus does that, and he says, Peter, I need you to put the boat into the maximum space. He puts the boat in the boat in the lake so that the most people can hear my message as these crowds follow Jesus. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I need the most people in your life to hear me, right? Because the people in Luke chapter 5, those are the people in Peter's life. These aren't the people in Jesus's life. They're the people in Jesus's, or Peter's life. These are Peter's cousins, his family, the the, maybe the guys he went to school with, the, the, the crew that he hung out with. And Jesus is saying, put me in this space in your life where I can be heard and magnified into the most people in your life. And so they do that. And then check this out. After they had done so, after he spoke, Jesus tells Peter to put down the nets. 
And Peter's like, wait, wait, wait. We did that last night. We didn't catch anything, Jesus. And, but if you say so, okay. And see, Jesus often will step into our life as a great teacher. People love Jesus as a teacher because he's great, like a Mohammed or a Buddha or a Confucius. The problem comes when Jesus says, okay, I'm good being your teacher, but now I want to be more than just a teacher in your life. And, and so there's more. And so here is Jesus. He teaches, and then he says, hey, now I'm going to take you fishing, Peter. And Simon now, Simon may not understand the Torah or the law or the prophets or Ezekiel for that matter, but he knows fishing, right? He's got fishing down because Peter is the son of a fisherman, not the son of a carpenter. Knows fishing better than Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, the fish aren't biting right now. What do you know? Just because you're the son of God that you made the fish. Like, I'm a fisherman. I know what's going on over here, right? I can imagine Peter thinking those things. Uh, but you know what? Peter obeyed. And it was the greatest catch in the history of his fishing career. So much so that Peter drops his nets and goes pro. Who follows Jesus. Follows greatness. Why? Because he realized, wow, if I do my life through God, there's actually more life that I have in God and with God. That's what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is stepping into your world and to Simon's world and to my world, and he is saying to you this morning, if you'll do life in me and with me and through me, I actually will teach you a little bit more about life than you think you know. I'm going to teach you about the life you can live without God and help you to see that it's better than you could ever live it without God. I'm going to show you how to fish, Peter, because that's what you think you can do better without me. And in your life today, there may be an area of your life that you're a believer, but you haven't surrendered it yet to God because you're saying, you know what you're really saying? You're saying, I got this, God. No, no, you can have all these other areas, but this area, I'm not ready to give this one yet to you. And God is saying, oh, but if you just would, if you just give this area to me, I will move through you. So keep chasing that person you're becoming, and only that can happen through God. Number three, it lets us live life on mission. Let's us live life on mission. Contentment lets us live life on mission. See, what happens when we're not content is that we're looking, and we're grabbing, and we're trying to grab onto things. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says this. This is Paul again. He's saying, not that I've already obtained all this, I've not got all of it figured out, I've not, but I, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Jesus Christ took hold of me. What's he saying there? He's saying, I found a better way to live. I found a reason for me to change who I used to be. Uh, I, won't, I won't say it. A reason to start over anew. What's he saying? He's saying, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I press on to the prize. See, Paul had so much purpose that he just didn't have time to compare. He wasn't going to have an issue with comparing himself to other people. We ought to work our own issues out so that God can work out his purposes. Well, maybe you're here this morning and you're a dream teamer. You're highly engaged or maybe you encountered a person like that this morning. Somebody that just seemed like they were full of life. Have you ever been around that type of person? 
And, uh, and you want to have that kind of life. Well, in a second, we're going to pray a prayer. And I'm going to uh, invite Jesus into the moment. He's here. He's already been here. His presence is here. But we're going to take some time to just engage in that. Maybe you're a believer here this morning and you have uh, taken steps to follow Jesus. Let me just tell you, there's so much more. Salvation is just the beginning. Salvation, that's what this message is really for. It's about engaging the simple life, a life with enough margin where you can be a blessing, you can be radically generous to other people. And so if that's you this morning, a couple great ways to follow up. One is to maybe get in a grow group. Those are launching this week. Maybe it's to get involved in growth track here at Simple Church. I'm actually going to be in the back this evening, or excuse me, this afternoon. And if you have questions about Southeastern University and about discovering your divine design, we know that for some people on their life's journey, that's a fit for them. So they discover who's, who God is calling them to be, their fit uh, as a person. Uh, let's pray real quick together. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to share your word this morning. And I pray as we are gathered here this morning, there may be some people that don't know you. And they want to know you. And I'm going to invite you into this moment, God. You be present in such a deep way. If you're here this morning and you feel like there was a part of the message that, that was struck a chord with you, or maybe you've attended here before and you just feel like there's something different here, and you want to know Jesus on a greater level, maybe you've not invited him into your life and you'd like to do that, I'd love to invite you to do that this morning. Would you just raise your hand this morning all across this place? Thank you. We're going to pray a prayer together this morning for those who've raised their hand, both here and online. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I believe that you can save me from my sins. I confess that I need you. I need you to save me from myself. I need you to be present in my life. I'm accepting your grace and walking in your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.